Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 129 for January of 2023. And uh, all three of your hosts are with us. We do not have a guest this month. Uh, guys, how's it going? Pretty good. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Anything uh, before we get into a workshop update, any other news in your world that you want to share with our listeners? It might be. Well, it's not really a workshop update, but remember the Vespa sold. And I think mm-hmm. that it might have sold for a record price for a super sport. I haven't found one that has been sold for more than that yet. Has it been shipped off to its new owner? Yep. It is in New York City. Wow. The gentleman that bought it lives basically right next to Central Park in downtown New York City. So he had no problem affording what he paid for how much did it go for 14,000 yeah wow yeah not including the you know uh the bring a trailer fees that he right. paid so right. yeah 14,000 dollars well it certainly makes up for the the low ball you got on the Vesco Yamaha <laughs> right i know um i was shocked because it wasn't more than a couple months earlier maybe 3 or 4 months earlier a super sport sold uh, same year, Super Sport. Um, probably wasn't quite as nice, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a rat bomb or anything. Um, and I think it sold for like 7000 And so I was like, well, you know, markets are kind of weird. I'm just hoping that it goes for around that price. You know, secretly, I was like, you know, maybe nine. <laughs> you know, if I was like, if I was really being optimistic, I was like, maybe 10 would be really cool. <laughs> Do you think it's because it was so it was white or off white and it was presented well? You did all the videos and stuff that that just well, that helped. If you're looking for a vintage Vespa, that's sort of what you're looking for. Now, some people really want the GS 160s, um, but like if you're looking for vintage Vespas, a Super Sport 180 is up there, mm-hmm. and it had very few miles on it, right? Only a thousand miles, and all original. I mean, one hundred percent untampered with and so if you're looking for one that's kind of the one you're looking for and i was surprised in the comments how many people really thought your fairing that weird windshield fairing thing was like a big bonus to some people and i'm like why i thought it was ugly yeah it's i mean absolutely atrocious and the screen was cracked which you know was mentioned in the in the ad but they are probably pretty rare yeah. Um there was uh two pe- luckily for me there was two people that really wanted. Mm-hmm. I remember um, seeing that they were like TikToking on the bidding. Yeah, and and one guy it was actually kind of annoying. One guy you could tell was trying to affect the price. Um he was one of the ones that really wanted it and um every comment that he made was about why other ones are better and um, you know, like just w- weird stuff. Yeah, know? it's it's the people that are talking it down while they're bidding on it. It's like, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, he wanted to come and see it, which I wasn't opposed to. But I was working basically while that in in with bring a trailer. Like you don't know when it's going to get listed. They right. basically tell you it's being reviewed, and then they list it. You have no say in what and when it goes live. Um, and I was on this atrocious week of work. I was working every single day for the week of that auction. And the guy was actually in Washington and he wanted to come and see it. 
but I told him like, it's just not feasible. I just don't have the time. And I think that he was like pretty put off by that. And I don't know. I'm very glad that he wasn't the high bidder, the person that I'm talking about, because I would have had a lot of reservation. I think dealing with the guy post auction. Um, But yeah, a person in New York city bought it. And I understand that, um, he has quite a few vintage Vespas. In fact, the person that um, picked it up and delivered it to him is uh, transported several Vespas for for this guy. So, hmm. um, yeah, so it seems like it went to a good home. Uh, he has received it and I have been paid. There was a, a he I sent the title and a bill of sale and he never received it. And I'm like, well, you know, that's pretty frustrating. So I went to the Department of Licensing, filed for a lost title, waiting for it in the mail. And like four weeks after I sent it, it comes back in my mail. So luckily, like, you know, it didn't just get lost forever. The title that I had sent to him did come back. And um, I asked him to verify his address one more time for me. And then he included an apartment number, which oh. wasn't there <laughs> the first That's time. A, that, that would be a problem. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of hard to deliver it to someone when you don't put your, you know, apartment number on. So um, now, you know, got his full address and I'll send it with a tracking number. And so he can um, get his title. So that's the last part that just needs to be wrapped up. Um, so yeah. you took you took your $14,000 and what new bike did you buy? <laughs> I haven't bought it, one yet. <laughs> I was say, did it go into a 521 account for your kids? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, or whatever so, it's called. Uh, actually, that money is going towards a piano restoration for the wife. So, uh-huh. yeah, um, I have. Uh, we'll just start into workshop updates. Sure. Since yeah, it yeah, yeah. goes into it. Um, I've been working on my RZ350. So um I TIG welded the rust holes in the bottom of the fuel tank, pressure tested it underwater. It is 100% sealed. Um, That was kind of a feat. TIG welding corroded steel that's already thin uh, was a challenge. But I ended up for my TIG welder, I got a nice big gas cup Mm -hmm. and um, a nice diffuser. And then... I had always welded with a gas um, regulator, but not a flow meter. Right. Mm. And and flow meters are just a little bit like a regulator doesn't really tell you a whole lot about how much gas is, is going out. It just basically sets it to a pressure. Whereas a flow meter sets it to a volume. Right. So I just, I I dialed in my whole TIG welding setup and I'm going to tell you it made a huge difference. Now I'm assuming you had to like back purge the tank and fill it with. Yes. So I, I back purged it with argon. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, before anything like the, the fuel tank was completely chemically like dipped. So, and that removes rust, corrosion, paint, everything. So the inside of the tank, was bare metal. The outside of the tank was bare metal. So that was kind of key as well. Um, back purged it with argon, like really fine tuned my setup. And actually it was not that bad to TIG weld the holes. In fact, even on a couple of times I blew through it, I was able to just kind of re weld around the hole, build it back up, um, made it actually look pretty good. So did that. Um, 
body worked it a little bit. There is a couple small dents in the side of the tanks. Fix those. Um, I have it in primer now. So all I and I I had um I have this paint shop near me, and they're so good at matching paint, like so good. Um, I had them match. I took one of the side fairings and and had to match the yellow. So it's not going to look off. It will look like the same yellow. Um, and I got a set of replica decals. So probably this weekend I'll spray the yellow on it. Um, there's a, a little bit of black that has to get sprayed on it and then put the decals on it and then I'll clear the whole thing after that. So um, that RZ is going to be put back together and, and sold. I'm, you know, probably going to sell it through iconic because it seems like they're probably best mm -hmm. suited to sell something like that. Um, not really sure what that's going to go for, but I'm hoping that it sells for something like the Vespa. Um, you know, it is an exceptionally clean RZ 350. Yeah. It, it is, and, and RZs are, are, the, the values on really them. hot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when I first got that RZ, um, Nice ones were selling for like five to seven, you know, like pretty decent ones. So, you know, to like moderately nice. Um, and now it seems like they're closer to 10 to 15 for, you know, something that's, uh, you know, pretty good, pretty nice. So, yeah, hoping that it goes for that kind of money. Um, and then I can put together my other motorcycles that I'm like actually going to keep, you know, so I have another RZ350 that I'm going to keep, um, and then an RD350, the one with the gold heads and, um, you know, the monoshock rear end. It's all, you know, custom frame. So those two motorcycles are, you know, I'll be keeping those ones, uh, and I'd like to work on them, but I just need to get some other motorcycles out of the shop and generate some money so I can put a whole bunch of money into the other ones. So uh yeah um what else workshop updates i think that's probably about it yeah been riding my little trail 70 around you know the sapphire blue dt mm -hmm. 70 um there's this car club in vancouver and they meet every friday night it's a old classic car club they've actually been meeting uh every friday since 1952 wow um you know not every friday yeah 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 yeah. but uh you continuously know, active group yes uh in fact they're, they're the uh longest continually running car club in the nation that's mm. pretty cool um at any rate so i usually ride my little trail 70 if it's like uh there's they have a clubhouse and it's actually pretty close to my shop just on like a little 35 mile an hour road and so i'll put my little beer cooler on the back of my seat with me and ride it to the car meet and yeah it's pretty fun i love that little trail 70 everyone should have one <laughs> uh for me got the wheels painted for the bride and they came out quite nicely um i didn't like the white so i uh color matched the front to the kawasaki gray rear and then painted the hub black I was trying to make it look like the original inboard disc brake that was on the MVX250F, which mm -hmm. is the very first one that had it. They actually had 
a, a black hub. So I, I did that. Um, the bride is coming along. I took the frame down to my buddy, Larry, who's, uh, he's, he's a professional welder, but he's, uh, you know, he's a one man shop works out of his garage and he does all my piddly little jobs affordably, but he's a pro welder. So I took the bride's frame to him and got all of the bits and pieces on it that I had tack welded with my little, uh, Harbor freight, one twenty five flux welder. Mm-hmm. He actually did nice TIG welding on. And so that's done. I've got it in primer. Um, right now I'm sanding the primer, trying to get a decent finish right now. I can't paint it cause it's so cold out and I can't paint in my house. I don't have a yeah. paint booth. I don't have any ventilation. My garage is right underneath the kitchen in the bedroom. So I'm kind of hanging out with that probably until I get a nice warm spring day that's sunny and not windy mm-hmm. because really it's it's ready to go together. I've got all the cables. I've got all the brake lines. Everything is kind of ready to ride as soon as I put it together for real. Yep. In the meantime, I listed the Aramaki rolling frame or, you know, the rolling chassis for the the Aramaki, I went ahead and uh, listed for sale in a bunch of places. Haven't gotten one nibble on it. I'm never going to get around to it. It's I have so little space that it's just taken up room. Mm-hmm. So I was like, eh, let me see if anybody who happens to have an Aramaki motor would like to have some nice, you know, 17 inch wheels and and disc brakes. And so I I went ahead and listed it and. I was only asking $400 for everything. That's the, the Suzuki front end, the wheels, the tires, fenders, frame, swing arm, shocks, everything mm-hmm. and no takers. So it's still sitting in my garage. So I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with that. If I still have it and eventually get the other bikes that I've started on finished, maybe I'll do something with it. So is there, um, Arma, is there an Arma board still or like a Facebook Arma group? I don't know. I don't know. It would be a, a neat sound of singles racer. Hmm? Um, it wouldn't be that, you know, you couldn't use it for for vintage because of the cast wheels, but you could do something fun with it. Mm-hmm. And the big news is uh, Ralph Weidling at Bull Taco Parts US finished the motor for Boltakenstein. Oh, good. And uh, when I first asked him about prices for it, <laughs> um, he was Intentionally like... Intentionally vague? <laughs> no, he was like, it could be anywhere from 12 to 17. And I was like, okay. Then he got into it. And he's like, well, you're missing a bunch of clutch parts and the crank needs to be rebuilt. The bottom end is pretty much shot. I can use your flywheels, but... The big end pin bearing connecting rod are all going to have to be replaced. I was like, ah, okay. So he's like, yeah, it's going to be more like 15 to 17. Oh, okay. And then he was like, what do you want to do for ignition? And I was like, yeah, I'm really thinking about uh, the high output vape mm-hmm. electronic ignitions on CDI. it. Yeah. I'd really like to not have Motoplat or FEMSA ignition on this. And, you know, the, you can you can get a, I think it's a 70 watt alternator 
mm-hmm. with the vape and it's all new and everything. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And he's like, well, I can go ahead and put one in if you want to buy one. I was like, yeah, okay. And he was like, what are you using for a carburetor? And I was like, well, I was thinking about, you know, a round slide, something either a Kian or Makuni. He's like, well, I've got 38 millimeter Makunis that I've got jetted for these. If you want it, I can go ahead and throw that. I ended up sending him $2,100. <laughs> so, Which but, actually doesn't really sound that bad. No, it really isn't for what I got. It was just a little bit of sticker shock. And one of the big things is uh, the head that I sent him wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. Right. So he said, I've got a, a <clears throat> Sherpa head here I can use. It really, it was about $1,500 worth of parts. Yeah. So. And a hundred dollars of that was shipping. So he only charged me like $500 for all of his labor to completely disassemble and reassemble, yeah. which is really reasonable. So I am not yeah. complaining about the cost. No. Yeah. I, you just weren't expecting right I, that you would have to spend so much. To- if somebody said it's going to cost you $1,200 to get the motor, the ignition and the carburetor, do you want to spend that on this bike? I, I would have struggled to decide whether I thought it was worth it mm-hmm. as it is now. You know, what is it in for a penny and for a pound or whatever? Something like that. Saying is, it, it's like now I'm so deep in, it's just the sunk cost fallacy all over the place. I'm just, yeah. whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. So I'm waiting for the check to clear and then he's going to ship it to me. And so I'm going to start working on that. And hopefully sometime this spring, I'll have two of them running. Mm-hmm. So, you know, considering it's been 11 years. <laughs> working on that although there were years at a time that it sat in the corner it's kind of always been a free time spare change kind of project but yeah you uh you don't have a buddy or a friend or a friend of a friend who's got a garage you could paint in or someplace that's warm back of a shop somewhere the only thing i could do is i could beg my boss to let me do it in the restoration shop at work and they really mm-hmm. frown on employees wanting to use company resources to do private projects. So mm-hmm. I, I probably could, but I'm not sure I want to spend that capital. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, no, fair point. Um, so, and I've got a lot of things to do on that bike. So there's not really a shortage of things to keep me busy between now and spring. So, mm-hmm. yeah. After we wrap up tonight, I'm going to put the registration for Smack Dab 2023 out on the website. I'm going to open up registration for it. And uh, unfortunately, in the little town that it's is closest to the start, Smith Center, Kansas, uh, both of the local motels have closed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. People are really struggling with... Uh, a lot of campers, a lot of campers do this because there's free camping in the city park. So mm-hmm. you, can, you can camp for free at both ends. So mm-hmm. it makes it cheaper. But yeah. And I found out in rugby, North Dakota, there's some kind of, I don't know, rhubarb festival or something that weekend. <laughs> and there's evidently like some huge wedding with 250 guests. So uh, they're short on everything's booked up in the entire county in the start and the finish. And we haven't even opened up registration yet. So yeah, so that's it, a problem. It, it's probably good because it'll just kind of act as an, 
as a de facto throttle to keep it from getting too big so that it doesn't overwhelm these little towns and they go, no, don't do this anymore, mm-hmm. which has happened with a lot of things. Um, there's been a lot of events that get too big for their own survival. So, so uh, that's what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a workshop update, but I just read that Moto Marini is coming back to the United States. I just saw in uh, Power Sports Business that there's a distributor that's going to start selling the Chinese-made Moto Marinis, which really have nothing to do with the uh, the old Italian ones, either the the air-cooled V-twins or the more modern ones, which evidently I found out from talking to people were not terribly reliable. The the water cooled ones always had a lot of niggling faults. So who mm-hmm. knows? The Chinese ones may actually end up being better built than the ones that they're replacing. But so what are they building? They're um, building it's the same motor as the Kawasaki six fifty twin and the CF mm-hmm. Moto six fifty oh, and seven okay. hundreds. They're building uh the Xscape, mm-hmm. which is a ADV bike, ADV ish. Mm-hmm. I think it's a street oriented ADV bike. And they're building a kind of a dirt track scrambler kind of street bike and one that is a true standard street bike that actually is really attractive looking. The big problem is I'm not sure I'd buy from a distributor that may not be there. And it doesn't have some of the features like cruise control that the CF Moto has. CF Moto is overboard to 700 and has a little bit more poop in the engine room so Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. as attractive as it is i'm not sure if i was in the market there'd be anything compelling other than the motor marini name on the tank and the looks both of which really do irrationally appeal to me but when it comes to dollars rationality wins out yeah kind of looking at the moto marini and uh yeah i mean it does look really it's a you know handsome looking motorcycle i don't know if they're the ones that actually design it, but the tank badges and stuff are looking pretty good. Uh, it looks like the CF Moto, the NK, I think they call it, is a is a, a KTM motor. Um, one of them, depending on which one it is, the seven hundred is the it's the Kawasaki motor. But yeah, then and the, the one that is a KTM. The eight hundred is the K. Yeah, the KTM. and actually, CF Moto is building the seven ninety. Both the Duke and the uh, Adventure. Yeah, the Adventure. Uh-huh. KTM builds the 890, the same frame and engine. I, I think it's slightly different displacement, but the same engine architecture that was the 790. They discontinued. Now they're bringing it back. I think they basically shipped all of the tooling to CF Moto, and CF Moto oh. is building the 790s. I see. For KTM. Yeah. And so, yeah, but if you look at the Cimezo, I believe it is, and the X-Cape motor, it is as close to the Kawasaki 650 twin as the CF Moto is. I see. A little bit different shapes to the side covers, but... Same architecture. Same thing. Yeah. Um, So. Again, going off on somewhat of a tangent related to that, um, if I was in a position... After watching the press intros of the KTM Adventure 890, I think it's just the new 23 Adventure 890 that they did in Portugal. Mm -hmm. I really want one of those bikes. Yeah. The uh, 
the trail they, they kind of did like two lane kind of like dirt two lane roads and trails and stuff like that but plus some a bunch of pavement and stuff like that um going north from lisbon along along the atlantic coast and i'm just watching him just rail and it's like mm-hmm. oh it's like so much fun i like that category of adventure bike mm-hmm. where it's still small ish to the point where it doesn't feel like you're on a touring mm-hmm. bike you know it's not like the crazy huge engine and the crazy price tag that goes along well, with all that but it still not- has like pretty significant horsepower yeah it's like 100 horsepower and it still only weighs like 450 to 480 pounds not like 575 like a big you know yeah i had plenty of fun on a transalp you know 1990 whatever transalp at 50 horsepower i'm sure one of those like you know it's got the power you can pass people but it still probably feels nimble enough off-road i just think it's like the perfect like kind of mix between um you know adventure and off-road sizing but the power with that you would want to feel comfortable on like a long trip or highway um so i'm really curious about um that category and i'm i i believe that yamaha is going to do a tenure are they yeah. going to do a tenure 900 they, they, with the cp3 motor i, I would assume so there, I yeah. mean, the there's been a, a lot of rumors seller, i don't so. know if they're official rumors or not yeah the, uh, the only controversial thing, and I'll put controversial in air quotes, uh, about the KTM is that some of the electronic controls, like uh, the quick shifter, uh, I think some of the ride modes and something else, they give it to you for free for three months or oh, some, some amount of miles. And then after that, if you want it, you got to. You got to pay to you got to pay. You don't have to keep paying, but it's a uh, it cost at that point. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because you know it's a pure profit play at that because if they put mm-hmm. all the stuff in there to do it it has to be priced into it i don't think yeah. they would price it in that well we expect 80 percent not to have it not to take it up not to not yeah. for an uptake because then you know okay granted it's 150 dollars worth of parts probably and yeah. another 200 worth of engineering to get it done but um yeah that's yeah, a good point just, like it's already built into the price of the motorcycle like exactly. it's in there yeah, but now so they're going to charge you to use it, right? So that's just pure profit. Well, not yeah. pure profit, but essentially it's profit at that point. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it, it's fine. I mean, you know, how that's... does and you would know this? How does that sit with consumers, like in the automotive world, right? Because isn't like BMW doing th- things they, like this? They did do that for a while. Where in a lot of BMWs, if you wanted Apple CarPlay, you had to pay a monthly VIG to have Apple CarPlay. Yeah. Um, that did not go over well and did not last more than about nine months and they got rid of it. Yeah. Uh, there's another one where they were doing it for like heated seats and some other stuff. And I don't know how well, if that was, they, they, I don't think that was in I the don't, US. I don't, I don't think they actually did the subscription model. They proposed it and okay. they have announced that it's coming. I don't think they've actually sold anything. And, and some of it, some of, there was some speculation that they're doing this to scare people away from taking those options because of supply shortages and so this was preemptively trying to be able to ship cars and put them out while dealing with the supply you know uh supply line shortages yeah i I know a friend of mine bought a new ram and there was a couple features that are standard i forget what they were heated steering wheel or or auto dimming mirror something fairly innocuous that wasn't a deal breaker uh but they couldn't get the chips for it. 
So they were actually blanking off certain parts of the management computer and just going, sorry, we're, we're just not installing these microprocessors on the board. Yeah. And they were very explicit. Your truck doesn't have this feature. It will never have this feature. You can't come back in six months and say, put this chip in. What you are buying for the exact same price as everybody's ever paid doesn't have these standard features. Take it or leave it. But when you roll out of here, how it's equipped is it how it will always be equipped. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like, well, I need a truck. Okay. And after and I that's like, what they're counting on. Yeah. 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 There wasn't any of these, you know, well, we'll enhance this later on. They're like, no. Yeah. I'm glad that I'm not having to buy a vehicle right now just because of these kinds of issues and the prices that people have to pay to get these things. It's not a great time to buy. Getting better, I think, but not about another year. Yeah. About another year. You know, when I was having all the problems with trying to get the wheel speed sensor for my Suzuki Kazashi, I was seriously thinking this is a rare enough vehicle that I may have trouble again. And I went out and I went shopping. I looked at a CX three, looked at a Ford Maverick. And, and what I came down to is they're not going to give me crap for this either, you know, private sale or trade in my car is worth a couple thousand dollars and it's only got 72,000 miles on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice and, and pray that I don't have any, problems with it i can't fix because i can't get parts and even if i do i'm going to be out two or three thousand dollars you know i can sell it for salvage for something and i'm i'm going to take the bet that i don't have to go out and spend 25 grand on a new vehicle or buy somebody else's used vehicle to avoid that problem yeah i'm gonna the the kazashi is an interesting enough vehicle and a bit of a cult enough vehicle that bring a trailer or not uh, bring a trailer, but um, uh, cars and bids. Cars cars and bids. I've, I've cars. actually thought of it because evidently there are they imported less than 2000 of the manual six speed Kazashis in the United States. Total. I've always been really I, I think they're one of the better styled compact cars. I mean, I love the way they look. I've always really liked those cars, and I'm sure I'm not the only person. I have really liked mine. I still like driving it after having it for eight years mm-hmm. the uh the enthusiast car media loved that thing and they 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 did all they could to get them to sell but they just they didn't take the, the biggest problem is nobody liked the cvt mm. the cvt was a yeah. kind of lackluster and, well as all cvts are right and the they're admittedly very small cars i love yeah. my car because i'm the only one who drives in it it's it's my commuter car the back seat would be really tight for anybody with a, a family yeah so and I had to get new tires. And in Kansas City, you have to have all season tires. Yeah. Yeah. And I just bought, there's a brand new Michelin tire, Michelin Cross Climate 2. Mm-hmm. So much better in 90% of the categories than my old Pirelli P6s. Mm-hmm. That I, Now, I will say it's not quite as smooth. It's not quite as quiet. It doesn't steer quite as good at like high speed, like over 80 miles an hour. It's a little twitchy. But as far as traction, grip in dry and wet snow, we had snow here a couple times so far this winter. And it's like, oh, my goodness, this is so much better. So 
anybody who wants an all season tire, if you can get the cross climate two from Michelin, 100% recommended. It is so much better than any all season tire I've ever used in wet and dry. Hmm. And so. I think those are even three peak rated. I, th- I think so. They yeah. look the the one downside is they look like they should go on a piece of earth moving equipment. They have a <laughs> Chevron tread pattern that truly looks like it's a worn down sand paddle. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's really aggressive, but it, New tires. it's, it handles really well in the dry. I mean, it's got as much cornering grip as my Chinterados did. And in the wet, it's 10 times better. So, hmm. um, there was something else I posted in our, in our Slack chat a while back, really fascinating article about companies that are putting together hot swappable, not hot swappable, but, but quick oh, right. swappable service stations for electric bikes. Mm-hmm. So that these little smaller electric bikes have the ability to just swap out batteries like you fill up with gas and around Nairobi, there's like two or three different companies that are building these. They look a lot like, I think like, uh, you know, like the little 125 bikes that are popular in Africa, but they're electric and also some scooters, but they all take the same battery and you can just pull in and say, this one's dead. Give me another one. Cause a lot of people in that kind of situation, they don't have someplace where they can plug in and charge something, you know? So I I think it was really interesting to see a place like Nairobi, Kenya, kind of ahead of a lot of first world countries Mm -hmm. as far as getting swappable electric batteries, kind of like, you know, there's a lot of third world countries that just skipped over wired phones. They Mm -hmm. never put in a landline system and they just went right to building really nice cellular nets first. Mm -hmm. And they also did like contactless payments and stuff like that, where you're just making paying people over your phone. Right. Right. So uh, I thought that was interesting. So I'll, I'll go ahead and on the Hooniverse article, I'll go ahead and put a link to that. uh, Both of those articles. So on, on a, on a tangent note, um, there were a couple in the last month, there were a couple reviews for the BMW CEO four, their electric scooter right. that, that came out for as big and heavy as it is. The fact that it has a 70 mile range was rather pathetic. I thought, especially mm. considering like some of the zero and some of the other like electric motorcycles mm-hmm. were more in the 110 to 130 range. I'm like, how does how does this work? But I mean, is it something like the uh, Rivians and some of the heavier electric, you know, automotive uh, vehicles where like they're just not very kind to um, the power, you know, like you just end up using. No, I, I don't, I don't so think much. it was that. It, it, yeah. I mean, it was just equivalent. I think I'm trying to remember they said it was equivalent of like a like a Bergman or something like that. So it's at like a 650 CC, which, OK, mm-hmm. it's not like it's would be like 40 horsepower maybe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah it wasn't like anything like that and um you could put you could plug it in for 240 like on a fast charger mm-hmm. but it only accepted it barely accepted over uh what you could do at 240 in your house so that's four or five hours to charge on a 240 or something like that oh, which man. is for as small as that battery is the six that's a long time 
the inverter that they use for that is undersized. So mm-hmm. I, I still, even after all this time, there's, there's, there's a portion of there that defies me of how you get electricity into, into the battery and at speeds and stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, and it's expl- been explained to me multiple times by multiple people who know, and still it's one of those things. But anyway. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I think electric bikes are cool, but I have so little knowledge of them that I find them really intimidating, especially to do anything other than own and plug in, you know, it's yeah. like, and, and I mean, there's a scooter that you're going to run around town in and r- ride for five, 10, 15 miles at a time, 20 at the most, probably 70 miles is probably fine. Cause every two, three days you plug it in at home overnight, you're good. But it just, I don't know. There's, there's a, I guess this area is spread out enough. I can see chewing up 70 miles in a day real easy just yeah. because everything's yeah. 10, 15 miles away from each other in a sprawl of a metropolis. So yeah. it, one thing we have not talked about that we, probably could have covered on last couple episodes is the Volcon grunt, uh, which is a fat tire electric. It's kind of like the Rocon or a TW 200, but electric. Mm. Um, it kind of looks like the fat tired Coleman. Yeah. The mini bikes, mini bikes that they sell at like tractor supply and places yeah. like that, but it's actually got some really good specs on it. They say up to 75 miles of range. Now that's, I'm sure that's got to be smooth terrain. Once you start, you know, fording streams and going up rocky cliffs, that's going to drop down. Um, I think it's really cool. I think it's overpriced. I forget what the price is on it, but it's, it's a whole lot of money. Uh, It looks like um, they're selling right now for $59.99. Okay. I think when they came out, they were seventy nine ninety five. Yeah, yeah, it does. It shows uh, marked down from seventy nine ninety nine to fifty nine ninety nine. That may have been a hey, if we've got some, you know, early adopters that'll pay a whole lot of money to be, you know, yeah. It does re- look remarkably like one of the Coleman mini bikes. Yeah, <laughs> like, but I mean, it's got disc brakes. It's got upside yeah. down forks on it. It's it's definitely more capable than one of those yeah but uh yeah i suspect you could probably go just about anywhere on one of those with tires like that and looks like the iceland you know like ice vehicles like the the tires are just like Mm -hmm. disproportionately large um as much as i love the sound of an internal combustion engine getting out in the wilderness on an electric bike sounds really appealing to me you could actually listen to more than the sound of your motorcycle when you're out going through the yeah. wilderness. So, well, like I probably wouldn't spend that much money on one, but um, something like that, I would find very cool in the area where I ride. It's like the central Oregon desert. And, you know, like my wife and I took the little trail seventies out on a ride, but having a couple of electric bikes like that you know where it's just kind of gas and go easy to use and you can just ride it through the kind of outdoorsy backcountry areas quietly it'd be that'd be kind of cool i would like that um well i told everybody uh i made a post on our facebook page saying that we were going to have an important announcement this month and uh I'll go ahead and make the announcement. And that is that we are going to start wrapping up the false neutral podcast that we're going to put a bow on this. And there's a lot of reason for this. It's, it's mostly my decision. I kind of 
force this on Eric and Garrett, but um, I do the post-production and the scheduling and stuff. So it was probably my call to make, but they kind of agreed with it. So um, there's a lot of reasons for this. Our schedules are a lot more hectic than they were seven years ago. Getting three of us together at the same time and having enough time to record a good episode is is getting more difficult. As you notice, we skipped a couple months in the second half of this year because we just couldn't get everybody together. Well, obviously, Garrett has two boys now that are in that age where they need a lot of attention. I have a more demanding job. Garrett does. Eric, who knows what's going to happen with you? So it's getting more difficult to get this together. I also think I personally am not doing a whole lot new with motorcycle trips. I haven't bought a new bike in a long time, and I probably won't. I I said to the guys, I don't want to be the old guy that keeps telling the same stories from my past over and over. I'm not riding, you know, I'm not a journalist that has new bikes that I'm test riding to talk about. So in a lot of ways, I feel like I've said what I have to say about bikes. Uh, Garrett and Eric, you tell me whether you guys feel the same way or not. Yeah, I mean, most of what I do with motorcycles is just my workshop stuff, which the pace isn't significant. So it's hard to to come up with enough content, I think, that the show really deserves so and 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 I think the fact that I'm not riding a bunch of new you know when I worked yeah. in a motorcycle dealership I rode new bikes all the time I had a really good idea what the state of the art was I don't now there's a yeah. whole lot of new bikes out there that you know I haven't been on a two wheeler larger than a two fifty in probably mm, I'm gonna say sixteen seventeen years mm-hmm. um, I take that back I've, I've I've done a couple of like around the block test rides, you know, 15 minute rides on some KTMs when the demo tour was in town. I'm not sure we've got a whole lot more new, fresh things to say. And I've been out of the industry long enough. I don't have a lot of context to bring in guests. So we've got just different priorities. I mean, Garrett, you're doing your roadster. Have you been working on your roadster at all? Actually, Uh, yeah, I've been working on that more than anything else. Yeah. Um, Another thing is Hooniverse has changed. Seven years ago, Hooniverse was a very eclectic site with a lot of contributors that covered the whole gamut of gearhead culture. And there was a lot of people that were into being interested in a workshop update that went to there that drove people to our podcast. We were part of the Hooniverse podcast network. Hooniverse is pretty much now just a new car review site. There's only a couple of contributors and there's a whole lot less content being published throughout the week. And motorcycles are not a part of that at all. So we're losing that driver to push people to us through that. And our listenership has eroded because of it. We're probably at about a third of the number of listeners we had at the peak. You have to build in some fudge factors from our old hosting provider, but realistically, we were probably somewhere in the thousand listeners per episode when we were doing it weekly. Now we're at about mm, 350 to 400. Not that it really, I've said many times, it doesn't matter how many people listen because we do this to get together. Um, what I don't want to have happen is just do this haphazardly, 
have more and more breaks, more and more time between episodes. And all of a sudden we just stop doing it and, and it never gets properly wrapped up. I think our regular loyal listeners deserve to have us do, give it an intentional finale. So right now I'm putting together a clip show, just some snippets of the conversations we've had with all of the guests that we've had over the past seven years, just as kind of a, a summation of all the people who came on and were willing to be a part of this. And then we're going to come back for a final episode in March and it'll just be the three of us. And we'll just kind of have an opportunity to talk about what was significant and what we remember and favorite episodes or favorite topics. And uh, we'll just kind of wrap it up with one big final episode in March. I do want to say very, very clearly, this has nothing to do with any kind of personality conflict or displeasure between the three of us. We have become very good friends. I value Eric and Garrett as close friends of mine, and I intend to continue having a conversation with them for a long time. I'm just not going to try and get all three of us together and do a recording and then edit that and publish it. So we may get together at some point for a reunion, but I don't think it's going to be through a podcast. Podcasts in general are kind of trending out, I think. Most people are turning to uh, video podcasts on YouTube or Facebook Live. So maybe in the future, we will continue to do something like that. Maybe it will be just one or you know two of us getting together to give you an update, but probably not going to do it through this podcast account. I, I'd kind of like to put this to bed and close it out. There is always an opportunity for you to still connect with us. Our Facebook page is going to stay up. I intend to, when I get the bride and Boltakenstein running, post a video there. Uh, I'll put it on my YouTube channel, which is uh, just search for Tanchanomi, T-A-N-S-H-A-O-M-I. We can give you other ways to get in touch with us when we have our final episode. Uh, any thoughts that you guys have or any comments you want to add to this before we close it out? Uh, just that I share your thoughts and, you know, we'll all still talk routinely, I'm sure. And I'll still be working on some motorcycle projects and kind of updating those things and probably put it out on the internet as they come along. My situation for the last almost three years now has been screwy because COVID screwed with my work, which screwed with my income. And then right when it got sorted out, it got screwed up again. And that's still not right. So Give me some other opportunities and we'll probably do a lot. Try to do a lot more announcing. Uh, uh, and, and you've got another podcast project that you, you should, you should talk about. <laughs> well, I've done, I've done two. Yeah. But the third they're, one of the, all right. they're good. I've listened to them. Thank you. I appreciate it. So it only works if you have Spotify, because what I'm doing is a music podcast and each show will have a different theme. I think uh, the first one I did was called Ode to Big Sonic Heaven, which was, is this particular show the style of music second one was what the 80s sounded like and it sounded like and to me it's like what the very early 80s sounded like music ones sound was and then the, this third one is going to be music from concerts i've attended um so anyways it's a different theme but you have to be mu dealing with music and podcasts sucks and so the only way i could do without without paying hundreds of dollars if not thousands of dollars in rights is to do it through spotify and so if you have a spotify account uh, just look for it's the the show is called Music of My Life, 
Uh, there's two out. Should be a third one in the next couple of days. So yeah, so I'm doing that. And it has nothing to do with motorcycles. But it has nothing to do with motorcycles. It's just right. I've always been somewhat passionate about music. It's come and gone through my life, but it's always places me. Points in time in my life are very much associated with certain music, and so I just thought oh, that's a cool idea. So, anyways, um, and then yeah, if you're up in front of our Canadian listeners. I'm hoping to do several of the Canadian Superbike rounds this year. Uh, in fact, I need to talk to Colin Frazier about it here in the next couple of weeks. So, cool. And one final plug: uh, if you are interested in doing SmackDab, uh, the website is smackdab281.org. SmackDab281. So that's our big announcement look for our clip show of all our guests next month and we will see you in March and we will talk then so long <laughs>